and John P. Penfold. Thank you very much. Church life activity. Wow, John, what a kiss. Longest kiss in uh, marriage history. Congratulations. We've called the Guinness people. <laughs> it's looking good. Uh, next Sunday, this is a, uh, a nice plan ahead, but it's a good plan ahead. Did you know that next Sunday you get an extra hour of sleep? Isn't this marvelous? So you are going to be like the most rested people ever next Sunday. So we'll go into extra heavy stuff. But uh, fall back next Sunday. Uh, turn your clocks back one hour. Um, amen, I hear. <laughs> Why can't we do that every, every weekend? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, lots of reports of people loving like Jesus. That's the address. Um, we should get that in the bulletin, Denise, if you could write that down and uh, make sure that gets. So uh, uh, here's, here's a few uh, things. Uh, someone sent an email and they said they... And I have to be careful because i got to assume that maybe some of these people are here. Uh, so you'll understand I'm going to be a little generic. But they said there's this family and they're reaching out very lovingly to someone. And they need Christ and they're showing lots of love and generosity to this person in a very difficult situation. So uh, that's a really good report. Another person emailed and uh, they said, I, I want to learn to play the bass guitar. Not just to play the bass guitar, but I want to play the bass guitar so I can help lead in worship. Anyway, somebody heard about this person's desire to learn how to play the bass guitar, and, and guess what uh, they got from another person? Someone gifted them a bass guitar so they can play it in worship world, and I would say that's really loving like Jesus. Uh, final email on LLJ. Dot Walloon at gmail.com. Uh, this is to everybody. So this, this one is about all of us. Here's what the person writes. Hey, Pastor Jeff, I'm sharing a testimony for the whole church rather than a specific person. Yesterday I met with a former teacher of mine who isn't a Christian. I saw this teacher recently and they asked if I still went to the church where we got married. I said yes, and he said, your church is different from the others I've seen. They seem to do a lot in the community and live out what is taught. He said he thought people from Walloon shared their faith in a way that's understandable but not pushy. I think this is a great example of loving like Jesus as a congregation. And it's commendable that a man who spent most of his life resisting Christ would see something in our people to admire. Well done, Walloon. Well done, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, that, uh, <clears throat> okay, we can go another week now, right? You know, nice job. Uh, we are in week number seven in the story. Uh, words taken straight from the NIV text in the Bible. Our desire is at the end of this 31 Sunday study, going from Genesis to Revelation, that uh, you'll be able to understand the big picture of God's story. God's story is what this is all about, and that's what the Bible is. It's God's story, Genesis to Revelation. Uh, week number one, we'll just keep recapping. You're for sure going to have the first few weeks down, right? In the beginning, out of nothing, God created the heavens and the earth. He created a place for relationship. 
The reason he created planet Earth was so that he, as God Almighty, could come into relationship with mankind. And he created this wonderful place called Eden. Uh, Unfortunately, sin messed up the relationship. But not to worry, God still has a plan. Week number two. God decides that his plan to restore that relationship will be through building a nation. And he decides, I think I'm going to start with a man who's 100 and a wife who's never had a child and she's 90. And out of this couple will become my chosen people, the nation of Israel, Abraham and Sarah. And uh, everyone will know this wasn't just uh, a man idea. They'll know this was God at work. Week number three, the nation's still small and fragile. There's a famine in the land. And uh, the 70 members of God's chosen people are nearly starving to death. But not to worry, God sends ahead his man. His name is who? Joseph. And Joseph is going to rise to the top, and he's going to use Joseph to uh, literally feed and bless his chosen people. Week number four, those chosen people in Egypt now are two to three million. And now a new pharaoh comes on the scene, and he's intimidated. He's afraid of God's chosen people. So he starts killing all the little baby boys of Israel. And he's literally working them to death, and they cry out, please deliver us. So God begins looking for a leader to lead his chosen people out of slavery in Egypt. And he chooses the most humble man on earth, and his name is Moses. Oh, by the way, he uh, couldn't speak well, and he was a murderer. That's who he chooses, but he's humble. Weak. Number five, uh, God says, I love you too much, chosen people, not to give you some guidelines. I love you so much, I want to give you structure so that you can prosper. And through Moses, they received the ten what? Commandments, right. And uh, they are received. Last week, week number six, Israel's right on the edge of the promised land. They're just about to enter in, but Moses sends out 12 spies. And they go into the land, and they scope out Canaan, the land that God had promised. And here's the report. First, it's an amazing land. It's, it's, it's fertile, and the crops are enormous. Second part of the report, but they are giants in the land. There's a lot of Goliaths, and they look at us, and they're fortified cities, and we're like grasshoppers, and they're going to crush us. And there's no way we can overtake them. And most of the people buy into that thinking. Matter of fact, all except for Joshua and Caleb, they buy into that. And for their unbelief, what happens to the adults? Anybody 20 and older, what happens? You're going to drop dead in the wilderness. And only the teenagers and under are allowed to enter into the wilderness, out of the wilderness and into the promised land. Today, we're in week number seven. The story, uh, I need to ask, because I haven't asked yet, how many of you are doing pretty good? I'll let you define pretty good at keeping up in your reading. Can I see your hands? How many? Nice job. Keep it up, okay? It's, it's meant to read like a novel, and that's the whole idea. We want you to keep up with us, so 
keep up the pretty good work. Moses and Aaron have both died. We're in the book of Joshua today, if you have your Bibles. Uh, Joshua is now God's man leading the charge into the promised land. And here's what the Lord tells Joshua, and here's what he says to Israel. Be strong and courageous, because you'll lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give to them. So uh, Joshua sends two spies into the land, go scope it out, go see especially what this fortified city named Jericho is like. So uh, they go into the great walled city of Jericho. There's uh, a simulation picture. That's not an actual picture of it, but uh, an artist is basically saying this is probably what it looked like. And the spies, they go to the house of a prostitute named, anybody? Rahab. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the authorities, they catch wind that there's some spies here, and they hear that they're hiding out at Rahab's house. So the authorities go to Rahab, and she hides them, and then she sends them on a wild goose chase, and they are able to escape and return, and they return to Joshua with this report. Listen close. Page 91 in the story. The Lord has given us this whole land. It's ours. Everybody is melting in fear because we're coming. So, what was God's plan to overthrow Jericho, this mighty walled city? What, what could it be? Joshua chapter 6, here's God's plan. Uh, for six days, march around the city once a day with all the armed men and have the seven priests carry trumpets in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around Jericho, anybody remember how many times? Seven times. And when the priests give one long blast with the trumpets, the whole army is to shout, yell, scream. And the walls of Jericho are going to do what? They're going to collapse, rush in, take the city. The city is yours. Okay? So all of the riches of Jericho... Uh, Joshua tells them, belong to the Lord. So, so don't mess with the, the pretty stuff, the gold, the silver, the, the good stuff that you see. That doesn't belong to you. That belongs to the Lord. Uh, everything goes according to a plan, to God's plan, except for Joshua 7. A man named Achan couldn't resist. Uh, he took some treasure. He hid the treasure under his tent. So now Israel's going out to fight the next city, Ai, and now they're about to go fight, and they're not winning. Matter of fact, they get creamed. And now they're wondering, what happened? What happened? So Joshua goes before the Lord, and he says, what's going on? And there's, a, there's some sin in the camp. Somebody didn't do it my way. Somebody's living in a disobedience, and sure enough, it's Achan, and uh, he is stoned to death for his disobedience. Joshua 8, the Lord now sends them back to Ai, and this time, sin in the camp has been dealt with. They get victory. Page 95 in the story, uh, Joshua builds an altar to the Lord on Mount Ebal, and Joshua pauses. Imagine now, the entire nation of Israel, Joshua is going to stand and, and very loud reads all of Moses' law. All of the commands, all of the blessings, 
all of the warnings that Moses has written down, he says, I'm going to build this altar. I want you all to be reminded what we've learned from Moses. So they have this really wonderful time, and God's chosen people are now in the land. Uh, They are in the promised land. Jehovah has given them victory over mighty Jericho. And now Jehovah God has given them victory over Ai as they got their second chance and they're on a roll. They are uh, on a spiritual and military high. God's chosen people are on the march. Look out, Canaan, here we come. Uh, Joshua chapter 9, look at verses 1 and 2. Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, all of the ites, that's all of those, those kings, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. Okay, there's a mighty battle coming. Seems like Israel finally has its act together. Nothing's going to stand in their way, right? Uh, no army could stand against God's chosen people. Would you stand with me if you're able? Because um, the next attack is a little more subtle. The next attack, uh, they get hit where they least expect it. Joshua 9, we'll start with verse 3, read down through verse 15. Here we go. Would you read with me? However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai... They resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We've come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. The Israelites said to the Hivites, But perhaps you live near to us. So how can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, Who are you and where do you come from? They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. We have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtoreth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, Take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you, but now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that were filled were new, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and our sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, thank you for giving us the old section of your book. And Lord, we know that uh, we are given the old section, the book of Joshua, to learn. 
and be challenged by. So, Lord, would you help us to specifically learn from this incident that we just read about from Joshua 9 and the attack that your people received that they never saw coming? Lord, I'm asking that you might speak loud and clear through these weak and goofy lips of mine. May the presence of your Spirit be welcomed in your church this morning as we worship you, as we study your word, your inspired book. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one loud voice, you can be seated. I hold before you here in my hands an engineering marvel, I'm telling you. Uh, it is like the world's most fantabulous uh, heating pad, and it doesn't even require electricity, nor does it require water. It's called repeat the heat. Just click it. And uh, Denise and I are walking through a mall, and uh, we get stopped. You got you to try this. You got to try this. So uh, he, he clicks it. And instantly, this, this little puppy warms up really quickly. And, and I'm telling you, it stays warm for a couple hours. No electricity, no hot water, wherever you go. And you can use this thing hundreds of times. For the low price of $89, it's yours. And I said, no, thank you. Start to walk away. Um, just, just for a second, my manager has authorized me um, I can give this to you for $49 today, and, and that's, that's a great deal for this engineering marvel. Um, and I said, I, this, I, I don't think so. I like it, you know, it's nice, but I don't think so. So then he, he reaches real deep, and he says, I'll tell you what, because I like you two. Uh, I'll give her the pink one and you the blue one for $49. He says, but don't tell my manager because I, I, I'm really not allowed to do this. And, and I said, okay, uh, let me think about it. And Denise and I, he says, it's only good for 10 minutes if you're not back here in 10 minutes. <laughs> Deal's off. Okay, okay. So, so we're wandering down and uh, thinking and thinking and 49 Okay, that's just $25 each. You got one in pink, I got one in blue. This has to be an amazing deal, don't you think? So we come back, and, he, and he, he says, let's get away from the manager because he'll get mad at me if he finds out what I've done. I said, okay. So anyway, uh, we, we take two of them, the pink and the blue, and uh, we head home. And uh, that night, I tell you what, I clicked, and it was marvelous. I'm telling you, just like this, Paul, you put it on, you know, it's warm, and, you, and again, no electricity, no water, okay? Yeah, you could feel it, uh, but yeah. Well, well, here's the deal. I, I clicked it a couple hours, okay? And then after you click it, it blows up, and it's about five times bigger, and it's, uh, it's, it's like drywall consistency, Myron. You understand what I'm saying? It's hard. Okay, so suddenly I'm thinking, Denise says, how are we going to get that back in the box? I said, that's a really good question. Because uh, uh, we're traveling, and now we've got to get it back in the plane. How are we going to get this puffed-up thing? So I thought... I said, we never did see one after it cooled off. Uh, no, they didn't show us one of those. So now I'm getting in the fine print. I'm reading the directions finally. And, and it says, you got to put this baby and boil it for a half hour in order to get it to come back to size 
and be able to use it again. So I'm thinking, where do you get a pot big enough to boil this thing, eh? And then it says, and don't boil it too long or you'll void the warranty. So now you've got to be watching out that you don't boil it too long. So then I said, you know, I think it's time for the Google. Uh, so I Googled the repeat, the heat. Uh, I should not have. Yeah, I should have. Anyway, uh, on the repeat, the heat, there are thousands, thousands of don't buy this. <laughs> this, this, this is a scam. It's great. It's great when you first get it, but trying to boil it and get it, it's nearly impossible. Uh, somebody wrote, I tried to get my money back. It's not going to happen. I can't tell you loud enough, don't buy it. If anybody wants to make us an offer after the service, <laughs> we have a, a pink one, and we got a blue one here. And I'm telling you, if you can figure out how to get it back down uh, after you use it, it, it it's, a, it's a wonderful, marvelous engineering miracle. Okay? I, uh, I, I neglected, Paul, see me afterwards, make me an offer, I can't refuse. Uh, I neglected to ask the right questions. <laughs> and I would argue that's exactly what happens here in Joshua chapter 9. Um, Joshua neglected to ask the right questions. He neglected to Google the Lord. I neglected to Google myself. Um, the Gibeonites played on their sympathies. They appeared as weary travelers from a distant country. Okay? That's the idea. We're from a long way away. We're, we're hundreds and hundreds of miles away. But I give you the map just to show you where Gibeon is. Do you see it? Gibeon was about 25 miles away from where Joshua and the Israelites were camped. So they, they were a day or two away at most. So they weren't from far away. Matter of fact, they were like one of the next cities that would be attacked. So uh, they uh, play on their egos and their sense of pride. As you read here, Joshua 9, Oh, we fear your army and we respect your God, and we've come here to make peace. And they allowed the Gibeonites to play on their emotions. They accepted what they saw with their eyes. Now they uh, tricked them in several ways with their eyes. And uh, you have it up here on the screen lots of the things that they did. They, they went to a lot of trouble to deceive. That's really the truth. They, they went to a whole lot of effort to make sure that Israel would believe their lie. Their shoes were worn out and patched. Their bread was dried out and moldy. Their wineskins were cracked and mended, and they were clever enough, catch this, not to mention the most recent victories over Jericho or Ai. Because they knew if they mentioned that, then how did you know that if you've been traveling for such a long time? So they were clever enough not to mention that. Joshua and his leaders relied on the scientific method. What's the scientific method? You look at it with your eyes, you examine the facts, you saw what you think you see, and you make logical decisions we're looking at all these facts, and we're sure these people are from a far distant foreign country. That was the conclusion that they came to 
with the scientific method. The only problem is they were dead wrong in their assessment. They'd been what? Deceived. There was deception going on. They were deceived by the clever deception of their enemy. They came pretending like they're friends, but they really weren't friends. Okay? And here is the problem. Here's why they were deceived. Verse 14, Joshua 9, the men of Israel looked over the supplies those men had brought. Here's the problem, but they didn't ask the Lord what they should do. They looked, they thought they had the facts, they were pretty sure they were right, but they didn't ask the Lord what they should do. Joshua presumed that he knew God's plan. Joshua assumed that he could wisely discern all by himself. And the truth is, he was wrong. He was deceived. Uh, here's what you need to know. Okay, Give me your eyes for a second. The sin of presumption is walking by sight. I can handle this on my own. Thanks, Lord, but I can make this call. This is a fairly easy one. Trusting in my own wisdom, trusting in my own discernment, Joshua was tripped up in 1440 B.C., and we get tripped up in 2016. I'm telling you, the sin of presumption is active and alive today, just like it was back in Joshua's day. Uh, Proverbs 3 and verse 7 warns, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Don't be impressed with your own ability to make decisions. The temptation is, I don't need to pray. I don't need to seek the Lord. I think I can do it on my own, and I'll just go with how things appear, and I'll make a good, logical decision. And sadly, that's something that Christ followers, we do that all the time, don't we? Or, here's, here's another thing. Ever, you ever tried this one? Or, I decide what I want to do, okay? I make a decision based on the facts as I see them, and then I go to the Lord and say, Lord, here's what I want to do. Would you please bless this? Amen. <laughs> okay, so, so that's a little more spiritual, right? So I, I come up with my own plan, I make my own choices, and then we ask the Lord if, if you'll go along with what I have chosen to do. Bless it. Amen. I want to spend the next few moments talking about how to make good, godly decisions. How to make good, godly choices in life. And I'm going to offer you two uh, thoughts that are key. There's lots more. But to me, these two are critical uh, about how to make good, godly decisions. Um, here's the common method that a lot of us use today. Um, and, and sadly, this is how we think God works, okay? Ready? <laughs> and, and we rock, paper, scissor it, and we assume, God, you've got to be in the rock and the paper and the scissors, right? Um, and, and I would argue, I, I think there's a better way. I, I think God has more in mind than rock, paper, scissors. Um, so now we're here, and we need to make a choice. We need to make a decision, and uh, what do you do? How, how do you make? There, there's like five different ways you can go. What should we do? Um, if you're taking notes, here's the first uh, input regarding making good, 
godly decisions. You ready? Slow down. Slow down. Today we're in a hurry. Most of the time we're rushing. And when you rush and when you make decisions in a hurry, you're opening yourself up to bad choices, to bad moves. Um, Every time you're in a hurry, you're opening yourself up to making a really foolish choice. Hebrews 6 and verse 12 says this, It's through faith and patience that we inherit God's promises. Do you, you see the balance? Trusting the Lord and patience, staying under God and waiting upon Him. Through faith and patience that we inherit God's good promises. I've never regretted slowing down to make a decision. Never. I've never regretted I'm going to take some time and wait and pray and I'm going to seek counsel as needed and in due time I'm going to wait before I make this decision until the Lord makes himself clear. I've never regretted doing that, ever. I can't tell you how many times um, I've been in a hurry and by hurrying with a decision it turns out really bad. Can anybody identify the rest of you uh, just aren't in the mood to admit it, okay? Uh, here, here's here's a, a thought. Write this one down. Jesus rarely works and speaks in a hurry. Jesus rarely, I almost said never, but I don't want to put God in that box, but rarely does he speak and guide and lead in a hurry. So if you're hurrying to make a decision, that's a bad sign. If you're in a rush to make a choice, That's a bad sign. You're probably heading over a cliff on that decision. And I would argue the bigger, the more important, more impactful the decision, the slower you need to go. So some some decisions are like life, uh, the rest of your life impacting. You need to go really, really slow on those. Take extra time. Seek extra counsel. Make sure the Lord's making himself really, really clear. Which is why when someone comes to me in a rush to get married, I tell people, okay, you can pass this along. I need six months. I need, but I really know they need six months, but I, I blame it on me. I need six months with you. Uh, I need to work with you for six. No, we're madly in love. You don't understand, Pastor Jeff. We met two weeks ago and we, we need to get married right away, right away. Uh, and, and I say, well, you know what? If you're that much in a rush, I'm not your man, but I would also argue that if it's right today, it'll be right in six months. Or maybe in the next six months, perhaps the Lord might show you that maybe this really isn't Mr. or Miss Wonderful. You're going to see the ugly side if you wait a little bit. Second key to good godly decisions is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Anybody this like one of your favorite verses? Okay, yeah, here we go. Say it with me, okay? Trust in the Lord, how? With all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Got that? In all your ways, acknowledge, submit to him, and what will he do? He'll direct your path. He'll make them really, really straight. And guess what the next verse is? 3-7. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Isn't that interesting? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. 
And don't be impressed with your own ability to make decisions. Do you remember why Joshua was deceived? Why did Joshua get fooled? Go back to Joshua 9, verse 14. Because he didn't ask the Lord what he should do. James 1, 5. If any of us lack wisdom, what are we supposed to do? Anybody know that verse? If you lack wisdom, if you don't know what you should do, what should you do? Ask the Lord, and he gives freely his wisdom. In other words, he's, he's pleased to pass out his perspective, his mind, if you'll ask and then wait till he makes himself clear. He's pleased. Someone cleverly wrote, a dentist's mistake is pulled out. A lawyer's mistake is imprisoned. A teacher's mistake is failed. A printer's mistake is corrected. A pharmacist's mistake is buried. A mailman's mistake is forwarded. And an electrician's mistake, Rick, is shocking. And a Christian's mistake is unnecessary. It's unnecessary. Why? Because if we'll slow down and pause and seek the Lord and seek his mind and seek his input on our situation, our decisions can have his stamp of approval on them. Follow me here. Our decisions oftentimes have long-term implications. I'm really glad that uh, my wonderful little amazing heating pad, okay, some of them, it hurts you a little bit, two for 49, uh, but some of our poor choices have long-term lasting effects that affect us, affect our destinies, affect our families, affect our children, affect our grandchildren. I was uh, on staff at a church, and the senior pastor had left, loved him to death, Lord called him on, now I'm on the search committee to replace my boss. See, that probably wasn't a good idea, but I was. Um, we brought in one candidate, and he got to know us, and he said, no, thank you. Uh, true story. We brought in another candidate, took him all the way, had a vote, and the church said, no, thank you. So discouraged, we were sitting on, in the church van, the committee, we had gone and uh, interviewed someone else. That's not going to work. So we're discouraged now. We, were, we had prayed, oh Lord, and we really thought the first guy who told us, no thank you. And we really thought the second guy was God's man, and, he, and the church said, no thank you. So what are we going to do? So we just start brainstorming in the van. Uh, what are we going to do? Um, we need some dynamo. We need somebody who's got it all together. Who's, who's the whale that we can go and try to harpoon and pull him in? So we start talking and we start talking and I just got to say little or no prayer here but Lord please bless our great idea and, and we find our whale and we hook him and we reel him in carefully and we're saying Lord please again bless this good idea he's got a good resume good track record looks good on paper let's go um, I just need to fast forward that higher uh, was 
my great nightmare, my personal great nightmare. That, that hire that became my boss is probably the number one reason why I wound up coming to Walloon Lake. It was like, what did we do? And when I look back, I say, you know what? I, I know what we did. We, in our own wisdom, came up with an idea, not much prayer, not much input to the Lord, and it became awful. Uh, several years after I got up here, uh, that church split, and it's a mess. And how did all that fine mess begin? With the sin of presumption. I got a good idea. I think we can figure this one out on our own. I'm pretty sure we, we know what we should do. And every time, I'm just telling you, every time we just head off on our own, bad. Would you stand with me? I want to just remind you. Here's the key. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Say it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him. And He'll make every time. Every time. Bow your head, shut your eyes. Lord, we confess that there's a part in all of us that thinks we can do life in our own power, with our own plans, with our own cleverness. And Lord, we just acknowledge that that is not our new nature. That's not Jesus in us. That's our old, sinful, proud flesh talking. And I suspect, Lord, right now there's some of my friends who are standing right now and they're right on the edge of making a big decision. They're, they're contemplating one of those big choices that they have to make in life. And if that's you here today, I just want to close by praying for you. I'm, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I just right where you are at, I'd love to pray for you. If you've got a big decision that you're wrestling with and you need to make, um, I want to pray for you. So is there anybody... Lift up your hand. I'm, I need to make a big decision. I'm right on the edge. And would you pray for me? I just want to pray for you as we close. Anybody else? Yep. Any others? Lord, uh, I want to pray for my friends right now. Would you help them to slow down and wait? Lord, that's one of the hardest things that we're called to do. So as they pause, um, and Lord, I pray that they might ask and seek and knock and listen to your still small voice. Lord, in due time, would you make yourself very clear? And Lord, I know it's never a lack on your part. It's, it's us tuning in. So help us, help my friends here to tune in clearly. Help them not to lean on their own understanding, but instead, Lord, help them to trust you and listen with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul. Forgive us, Lord, for the times where we rushed out and made choices even major decisions without talking to you and waiting for your clear answer. Lord, my prayer for the church at Walloon that will learn from Joshua's mistake. Help us to slow down. and Help us always, Lord, not to lean on our own understanding, but to trust you, to seek you, and to wait upon you. It's in Jesus' awesome name we pray these things.
Jordan, lead us in a closing song.